Welcome everyone to the Recovery from Relapse special focus meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Today is Tuesday the 16th of August 2022 and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome P as our speaker today. P came to OA in 2013 and is from London in the UK. Thank you so much P for being here to share your experience, strength and hope and over to you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. And thanks everyone for being here, being of service, and everyone that's here to make this meeting. Hi, everyone. I'm P, I'm Close of Eater Restrictor, Recovered Not Cured. I'm feeling very nervous right now. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start with the set aside prayer. Okay, so God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, the 12 steps, the big book, the meetings, my disease, and you, God. So I may have an open mind and a new experience of all these things. Please let me see the truth. Amen. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, God is my director. God is my employer. And I don't know why I'm so nervous. There's so many people in this meeting that have supported me and I outreach with and, yeah, you know, become like a little family tribe. And I'm so, so grateful to have you in my in my recovery and in my life, you know, um, which is huge for me, being a massive big isolator and, yeah, make a, a banquet out of pushing people away. So thank you. And thank you so much, Rita, for asking me to share. You asked me to share at the end of September, and I don't think you realise, asking me to share in June <laughs> for September, <laughs> my goodness, um, this is a blessing that it's come forward, because I'm sure a lot of you do so yourself. I've I started rehearsing before I was going to sleep. You know, I was getting shares coming into my head and today has just been one big long share. So um, whatever's going to come out of my mouth today is going to be God's business, not mine. So uh, yeah, a little bit of history. Um, you know, I was thinking today, like, I can't remember going back, you know, when I was younger, when I wasn't obsessed with food and I wasn't obsessed with what I wanted and what was, you know, was duly mine. Um, I used to row and I used to argue and fight with an uncle who was a few years older than me. I lived with my grandmother. And we used to, I used to fight with him on a Sunday, you know, the Sunday dinner would come out and he'd have more peas than me on the plate. You know, he'd have more potatoes than me on the plate. And I was, I was a lot younger than him, you know, but I, you know, even then I was still in that selfish mode of I want what's mine and I'm going to get what's mine by hook or by crook and by manipulation. And that was very much, a, you know, my story growing up. Um, you know, I came from a family that was a um, Jewish family, also black African, I'm mixed race. And it was all about the food, you know, culturally, it was all about the food, family gatherings, it was all about the food. If I hurt myself and fell over as a little then it was about the food. You know, if there was joyous stuff going on, there was, it was all about the food. So I learned very, very young how to numb myself out, how to reward myself and how to celebrate with food. And, you know, I say this and I was thinking today, so do my family. I mean, I probably call my family foodies, but I wouldn't say they're, they're addicts. You know, there's definitely a difference in the way that my family have eaten and I've watched them eat to how they eat, to how I was as an addict in the food. And that's really, um, it's really important for me to acknowledge that. Um, you know, the obsession for me, you know, cause this is a program that has, you know, this is a disease that's totally um, um, progressed in my life. 
I'm also in other programs as well. But I think this was probably my first. This was the number one. This is the thing that kept me safe, you know, became my close buddy. I was an only child from my mum. And as I said, I lived with my grandmother, my uncle, and my mum and my dad were both from their own stuff, their own addictions. So I had it all around me, but I think I found solace in food. And growing up and then becoming more an adolescent, I also learned how to restrict because I used to have these very powerful messages. I had to change myself to be loved. I had to change myself to be liked. You know, I had to alter myself, my body, my thinking, everything about myself so I could fit in. And I never fitted in. I never fitted in anywhere. It didn't matter how much weight I lost. It didn't matter what I wore clothing wise. It didn't matter which group I was hanging around in. I still never felt like I fitted in, you know, and it's been that story all through my life. Um, I've done my best to try and fit in. You know, it says in the book, you know, about no human power, you know, and I tried every way that I could to try and fix this crazy thing that was going on within me. I didn't quite understand what it was, of course, at that age. I didn't understand that I was an addict and I had the isms of alcoholism and I didn't understand any of that. Um, then nobody in my family saw any form of treatment for any of their addictions. So, yeah, I, I didn't know about all that stuff until... I um, started really being interested in psychology and things like that and counselling. And so I believe my higher power took me to a place where I could start exploring a little bit more about myself. And of course, I started using those things as almost like a fix, as a, as a solution. And, and I must say, they never work long term. They work temporarily. Um, I was really heavily involved in meditation and yoga and things like that when I was younger. And um, I used to go on retreats and, you know, I went traveling and I was, you know, really good at being in my own company and doing anything I needed to do, but it never, ever stopped the madness of what was going on in my head. And I believe the madness was because I had a soul sickness. You know, I had this emptiness within me and, um, and there was nothing that would stop it. You know, even getting in some in other programs as well, as I said, and, you know, I got involved in like taking lots of gear and drinking and raving and clubbing. I came from the clubbing era and um, and I was in so much pain those days because that's when a lot of my restricting was really taking hold in my life, because the more I was going out raving, the less I wanted to eat and the more weight I was losing. So my head would tell me the more weight I would lose, my life would be perfect but it didn't matter how much weight. I mean, I got so small one time, I was fainting all the time because I was having no nutrition going in my body. I was just having all chemical stuff going in my body. And, you know, I, I was so unwell, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night checking my bones to see how much weight I'd lost because I'd eaten a salad the night before. I was insane. I was absolutely insane. And I remember joining a fitness club and I was really, really addicted to um, exercise back then. And I understand in this program, a lot of people identify the term um, exercise bulimic, and I can probably um, qualify for that as well. Um, and I was obsessed. I was, I was a bike rider around London. And um, if I wasn't on my bike, I was in the gym. If I wasn't on my bike in the gym, I was raving. I, was, I never kept still. I was always active because in my head, I wasn't doing it because I enjoyed it. I was doing it because I thought it was going to help me lose my weight. 
I wasn't even large. You know, my head told me something different because I never was 100% sure of who I was. That's 100% the truth. I didn't know who I was. And, um, you know, to fast forward a little bit, um, you know, I think you've got a gist of the obsession around how I try to control everything in my life, people, places, and things. And um, I remember a couple of family gatherings that I really want to share with you, one in particular. I remember I was having such a lovely time. It wasn't very often I, was, I felt comfortable people being in my home, but this particular time I did. And um, a young family member had come up to, um, to cut my hair. I was having a really nice time and they decided to get a takeaway. And I was like, yeah, brilliant, let's get a takeaway. And you know, everything was cool. This takeaway turned up and I know it's okay to talk about food in this meeting, it was pizzas. And you know, pizza's one of my binge foods. So you bring my stuff near me, then it's like, I turn into a gangster. That's the only way I can kind of ex express it. This pizza's turned up and they've given us a little complimentary small little box of barbecue sauce. I've never had barbecue sauce with my pizza, but it turned up and someone said, oh, that's mine. And I turned into in the interrogator, the gangster. I hated everybody. I was gonna kill you all. I have to come out of this relationship with the person I was with that was also there. And I believe you was all plotting against, not you, but they were all plotting against me. And that's how bad it was for me around food. You know, um, if I wasn't getting it, if I wasn't getting it my way, and if I wasn't getting what I saw, which I thought belonged to me, that was it, all bets are off. I hated you all, you know? And I can laugh at that today, but oh my God, you know, that little gangster within me um, that wants to annihilate, that has like a, <laughs> a machine gun that wants to kill everybody and sort of fire you all down, that can turn up any single time. And that's how I used to live my life. You know, pure selfishness all about me um i remember people used to say to me because i used to be a chef back in the day and people used to say to me you know apart from the fact they used to like you know, enjoy me making food they were terrified to go anywhere near my kitchen and they were terrified to make anything for me as a guest to their house because of course they picked up i didn't know because i was full of disease i was manipulative i was critical and if I didn't get it the way that I wanted it, the way it ought to be, cooked and made and served, all bets were off, you know? And I was never, ever really there for the company. I hear it shared in these meetings all the time, you know? That, and it's my story too. You know, if you invited me to a wedding, a funeral, um, you know, someone graduating, my first thought was, and I used to say it, what's the food gonna be like there, you know? It's the same way as when I was out in the madness of drinking and drugging. Is there going to be any dealers there? So if my dealers, my food dealers weren't there, I didn't want to go. Or if I did go, I'd probably stay for a little while, then I'd take off and find the nearest takeaway. So it was all about me. You know, I had a disease of complete selfishness. And, um, you know, as much as I thought I had spirituality in my life, you know, because my family came from a very spiritual sort of place and, they introduced me to meditation and, you know, looking at alternative ways of seeing things. I'm an addict. That stuff just didn't work for me long term. You know, so, yeah, I, um, you know, I've got so many stories that I could share with you, but I don't really want to get into the, the you know, the, the, the drinkologues or the foodologues because I know today it was nothing to do with the food. 
you know, the amount of um, way and pays that I understand people may say in this meeting, but for me, like the diet clubs, I'd done a lot of those. I'd done the diets. I was amazing at dieting. Um, you know, I was a bit of a plump, plump kid. And, you know, I was always like, yeah, I'm going to go on a diet on Monday. And then Friday would be treat day. Friday would be treat day. We'd go down to the chippy and we'd get fish and chips or whatever it was I wanted. But I was never able to get back. So the weekend would be really messy. And then Monday, I'd be right back on track again. Okay, Monday is going to be another day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday's treat day. Treat days don't work in my life. They never, ever have done. And, you know, again, that's me still trying to control this disease. You know, I've lived my life by trying to control it, um, either by starving, um, rewarding, trying different diets, diets that made me really, really unwell, physically and mentally, to the extent, as I said, I was fainting. I remember being on the juice diet. I lost loads of weight on the juice diet. My skin looked great. My eyes looked brilliant. Everyone was really complimenting me. But no, you know, it was making me more and more sick. You know, it wasn't feeling that emptiness where God belonged, you know, and I was pushing God out. All those things that I was trying to find externally for myself to, to help me with this disease, God was pushing me out. And I, I didn't know, you know, I never, I didn't know anything about this program. I, you know, the first experience I had of OA was 2007, before I actually came in 2013. I was in another program and um, I used to go to Hind Street in London. And I remember walking into my first OA meeting and sitting down, it was packed. And I was so full of fear and arrogance that I said I was recovered <laughs> and I don't really need this program, but I thought I'd just pop in to see what it was all about. But because I've Sorry, lost- P, that's 15 minutes. Oh, fantastic. Um, because, um, because I'd lost a lot of weight, so thinking it was the weight that would actually cure this, I thought I was recovered or recovering. I didn't know anything about this program. I knew nothing about the steps. I knew nothing about needing a higher power in my life. And, um, you know, that went on for many years, as I said, until I came in 2013. So I came in 2013, just to fast forward, because I'd come out of um, a civil partnership, a marriage, and I blamed her. <laughs> I blamed her like I blamed everyone for my, for my eating. Um, if it was an emotional thing, I'd blame somebody else. And, you know, if I wasn't inviting somebody, I'd blame them. And, you know, if I blamed her for bringing the stuff into the house. And when she left, wow, I couldn't blame her anymore. I had to really face myself and I had to see that I had a problem. And thank God I was in another program and I knew where to go. And I was actually working with a sponsor in another program who was actually in her way and directing me to these rooms. And I came in, pardon me, and um, I didn't get my first sponsor to 2015. Um, I wasn't ready. Um, I visited for, for a little while, but I went to my very first convention in the heart of England in Birmingham, 2015. And I went there to find a sponsor that would take me through the OA Howway because I was working a How program and I knew that it was a very quick program. And I thought that would be the thing that helped me lose loads of weight. That would be the program that would give me the solution that I need just to sort out my body. Completely forgetting, even though I was in other programs, that this is a spiritual solution. This is a spiritual program. But I was still so, so full of self. I was still trying to run the show. 
And I went to that very first convention in 2015, July. And um, wow, my mind was blown. <laughs> Not only did I feel like I found my tribe, more than any program I've ever worked before, um, I surrendered. I surrendered like I'd never surrendered in any program ever before. And I'd been in a program like many years before, but this was something completely different. It felt like the cherry was on, on the cake. You know, that was the bit, that was the missing puzzle. That was the bit that I was needing. Um, Cause I was in so much pain still and I couldn't understand why. I couldn't understand why, oh, I, I had um, recovery in my other program, but I was still in bits spiritually. You know, if I went out on a date with somebody, for example, I was so consumed and so much fear around food that we was going to eat or food we wasn't going to eat. And I, I just couldn't be present to people. You know, I was either running away in fear or running to you in fear. And that's a big part of my program. Big part of my story as well is, um, is relationship stuff. And it really plays out in my, um, in my, in my, in my OA program. And I, as I said, I surrendered 2015 and, um, I, I think I, you know, I got a few years in actually. Um, I lost, I lost some weight, um, which was, you know, great. I wasn't obsessed with it anymore. Um, yeah, by by the byproduct of this program, working program, getting a sponsor, sponsoring, going through the steps, brilliant. Well, I think I, I let go about two and a half stone, so I don't know what that is in pounds, but. Um, yeah, it was amazing. You know, I felt like I was running down the road, like really pink clouds in it. It was amazing. You know, I was really into this program. I was doing service. I was, I was on the board in my area. I was, you know, group level, conference level. I was doing loads of stuff. And then all of a sudden, something started shifting. Something started shifting. And I started questioning the way I was working my program. I started taking the reins back again. I think I started pushing God out. I started pushing everybody away. You know, and there's a part, where is it? Where's the book? <laughs> there's a part in the book which always, always talks to me. And it basically tells me about what happened to me. And I cannot really give you a time when this relapse started happening, but it definitely started happening by me losing conscious contact with my higher power. And feeling that I can do this again on my own. And it's part of Doctor's Opinion. And it's XXX, I think it is. Um, there is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. Then the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the most, the least understood by his friends about whom a whole chapter could be written. Now, wow, you know, when I read that, you know, when I came in and started um, working the steps again after this relapse, wow, I was blown away because that was me. I took the reins back and I started believing that, do you know what, I can start eating intuitively started going to meetings, I used to go to really big meetings in London, and I started hearing about people eating intuitively, mindfully, as long as you're spiritually fit, you can have frozen desserts in your freezer, it's totally fine, now for me, <laughs> I've learned the hard way, that doesn't work, um, it really doesn't work, bit by bit, that crept up on me, 
And Ten minutes, P. How long? Ten minutes. So three. <laughs> More to talk about. Um, thank you. And before I knew what, you know, I was in that place of back in pain, back in despair, back in the resentments, back in the irritability, back in the discontentment. And, you know, I made a major big shift. I'm, I'm kind of missing out a major big bit that I want to share with you. Um, I lost my mum. Um, she passed away um, four years yesterday. And um, there was no difference what happened for me with my drug and alcohol stuff. My, my head started telling me I can go back out drinking. And my head started, um, it didn't tell me that I started doing things differently in this program. And I needed to really up the ante. I really needed to up the ante. Um, because, you know, I have this ism. And this ism will tell me anything that it wants me to hear. And I'm quite happy to hear it. And before I knew what, I was not eating intuitively, um, not eating mindfully. Um, I was in pain and something wasn't right. Something was missing. And I felt really on my own. I never stopped going to meetings. I started doing things like giving more in my service, giving back my service. Didn't want to chart for, um, for intergroups anymore. I didn't want to do so many things that was helping me and helping others in service. So bit by bit, I was stepping back and going back into isolation, which is a huge part of my story in any of my programs. And, um, you know, before I knew what was happening, I always swore that I always swore, you know, my program is that back then I wouldn't have sugar, which was above a certain ingredient, you know, um, on, the, um, on the ingredients pack. So I used to run around trying to, find this, this is how bad it got for me I started looking for the lookalikes and this is a huge part of my story and this was part of my obsession even whilst in program the lookalikes you know I can then make pretend frozen desserts I can make pretend bread you know I can find the pizzas that I love and I can use vegan stuff and gluten-free stuff and you know maybe that is okay for some people but for me it still means I'm in obsession. It still means I haven't surrendered. It still means I'm still trying to find a way to eat my binge foods. But just because it only has sugar on the sixth ingredient, that's how I worked my program for many, many years. And eventually it brought me to where I am today. Um, last year, um, I say I really went for it big time. As I said, I, you know, my mum passed and it was just a, a real time. They say the food is the last thing to go. And yeah, most definitely it was. Um, as I said, something spiritually wasn't connecting. That bit of puzzle was, was, had gone. And um, I was back in that obsession. I'd moved over to Spain, which felt like a real God move. But I must admit, I remember coming over three times before I made a decision to move. And I remember going to this massive big supermarket and the whole one side was gluten-free everything. So it was there, it was planted. I was coming to Spain. And when I moved here two years ago, I remember for the first year I was running around, you know, people began on the beach, people began visiting people. I began to supermarkets to see what they have in those supermarkets. You know, I'd be coming off meetings. I remember I used to do a Saturday afternoon meeting and I'd be like, I'm okay, going off now, talking a load of rubbish, telling you all how amazing I was and how brilliant my abstinence was. 
and then I'd go walking looking for the new supermarket so I can go in there and find the lookalikes. And it was painful, you know, that wasn't a God-centered program, that was a me program. And, and I'm so, so grateful that I hit my knees eventually in what can I, I can only call, you know, it was a definite relapse, <laughs> 100% a definite relapse, because I started binging and I started throwing up because I used to do that. And I swore down I'd never, ever do that. And I always thought if it ever happens to me again, wow, I'm in, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in danger. And um, I went into hospital for an operation and um, I couldn't understand when I came out of the operation, I couldn't stop eating sugar. I couldn't understand what was happening to me. I could not stop eating sugar. And I understood by listening to a podcast that quite possibly I was put on the glucose drip. And there it was. It was almost like the beginning of me understanding what I have. I have an allergy of the body and I have an obsession of the mind. And the only thing that's going to support me with that on a daily basis whilst I get this 24 hours is this that I have for my higher power I have today. Um, and I have to keep, the reason why I say I'm recovered, I never used to understand that, and I still hear people saying that, is because I, you know, every single day I wake up insane, every single morning, and I have to work at that. You know, my prayers, my meditation, two-way prayer, which I've started using again, 10, 11, and 12, helping others, you know, being spiritually fit, then getting out there and helping others as well, you know, step, step 12, and step 10, you know, is so important for me today. So that relapse, I keep jumping around from the relapse. Wow. Um, you know, even coming on to these meetings, I used to come on these meetings going, who relapses? It's so arrogant because I wasn't like you. I was nothing like you. I was a special case. You know, I knew about diets. I knew about nutrition. You know, I've read the books. I've done the meditations. I integrate meetings. I go to intergroup, you know. I was so full of ego, so full of self. And I'm so grateful, you know, I needed that relapse. It would have killed me if I didn't get it. Um, I needed to be brought back to myself. I needed to be brought back to God. I needed to be brought, be brought back to what mattered. And, um, you know, just a little metaphor that I want to share with you. I was out on Sunday. I don't know if this is going to come out right, but on Sunday I went out for the day. I've been, you know, back in my head again this last few weeks. And I went out and I lost my phone. And I went back to the bus station to pick up the phone where I knew I'd left it. And I was talking to the woman at the bus station and she told me I was on the wrong side of the road waiting for the wrong bus. So I thought, well, thank God, I've lost my phone. I would have been sitting there for ages. And as I walked away, I got a very clear message from my higher power, which was, you know, you needed to have that relapse because you needed to go back to pick up what you'd left, which was me, which was your spirituality which was the conscious contact you have, you know, within this program to get back on the right side of the road to get the right bus. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's a weird metaphor. But it really, really stayed with me, you know? Three minutes, P. Thank you. And, um, and I'm so grateful today. <laughs> I want to talk a bit about gratitude. You know, I'm so grateful today that I hit my knees in that relapse. There's a shed loads of stuff that I haven't shared with you, but I think, you know, God has given me what I needed to share today. Um, there's, I wanted to share something on working with others. Um, this is really important for me to hear this today. And it takes me out of self. 
It takes me out of obsession. You know, I've really been obsessing around needing to move. I need to go somewhere else. You know, these friends that I've got, I want the right friends and all that crap is coming up again. And when I picked this up and I read this today, working with others, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intense work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. And I'm so grateful that other people before me carried on their message to give to me. And now I can go out there with a completely different slate of what my program looks today. You know, those years before, I'm so grateful for. But what I have now is a former program that I always wanted, but I never believed that I could have it. And I didn't know how to go about it. I felt like I was in the wilderness, even when I was in program. And I'm really, really grateful that um, you're all here. You know, it's, um, it's ego reducing the way that I'm working my program now. And um, I have a different confidence around me, which isn't an ego confidence. Um, I, have, um, I have that humbly asking God humility about me today, which I've learned for, through all of you. And um, I want to read the 12-step um, the promise. I don't believe I hear that a lot in the meetings, but life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot in our lives. You know, I get goosebumps when I read that. It's beautiful because that tells me I never have to be alone. You know, I don't have to be in that place of isolation. Even when I don't want to be here, I show up and I feel brand new when I come off a meeting. Very well, I feel that. Thank you, Fine, Zoe. Thank you, Zoe. Thanks for your service. You know, and that's what I need to do. I need to find you folks when I'm feeling like how I'm feeling sometimes, because that doesn't go away. You know, it's a reprieve that I get sometimes, but I have to keep on maintaining it. And that tells me how to. So once again, I didn't think for a second I was going to share for 30 minutes. So thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. I pass. Thank you so much, P. And I'm sure you can see a virtual round of applause there. What an absolutely beautiful message of honesty and hope that you just shared with us. That was just absolutely wonderful to listen to. Thank you so much.